Hey, what up, y'all? It's your boy, Val Cisco. Welcome to Sideshow Conversations, a cringy podcast for the geek inside of you. To my right is Bounty Law Series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick Stunt Double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> registered as lethal weapons we get into a fight i accidentally kill you i go to jail anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight they go to jail it's called manslaughter Thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Like you. Rick fucking dope. What's going on, y'all? And welcome to another great edition of At the Movies, always brought to you by Sideshow conversations it's me mr giddy up pilgrim val cisco and today we're going to be talking about the ninth film from director quentin tarantino titled once upon a time in hollywood and uh yeah for those that are new to the podcast at the movies is a segment which we talk about the recent movies that came out in the big screen And uh, for those who are new to the podcast, let me play a little bumper based on the rating system. Kind of how I rate these movies. So, without further ado, here is the rating system. Bane here, letting you know about our rating system. If we hate something, we 86 it. If we kind of like it, we're kind of sort of on the fence about it, we give it a mid-card. And of course, if we love it, if we think it's just as good as Elite of Shadows, if it's just as good as Breaking the Bats, we give it a big top. So remember, ladies and gentlemen, if you hate it, 86 it. If you kind of like it, give it a mid-card. If you want to break the bats, give it a big top. Alright, alright, let's get down to the nitty-gritty, and that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This film is a 2019 comedy drama film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Produced by Columbia Pictures, Bona Film Group, Heyday Films, and Vizarona Romantica. And is distributed by Sony Pictures. It is an international co-production between the United States and the United Kingdom. And the film stars an ensemble cast unlike we've ever seen before in a Quentin Tarantino film. And if you are a fan of Tarantino's work like I am, you know that he loves his cameos. But by gosh, this film takes the cake right here. And we'll get into those cameos and these roles because honestly, this movie has so many different storylines happening back and forth. You're going to have to watch this movie a couple times to catch who exactly is in this movie. 
Let's talk about a little bit more Quentin Tarantino's ninth feature film is a story that takes place in Los Angeles, 1969, at the height of the hippie Hollywood movement. The two lead characters are Rick Dalton, played by Leo DiCaprio, former star of Western TV series and movies, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. Both are struggling to make it in Hollywood as they don't recognize the hippie movement and what Hollywood has to offer these days. But Rick has a very famous and a very beautiful next door neighbor named Sharon Tate. And guys, if you don't know who Sharon Tate is, please look her up, do some research. But she's famous for many reasons. You know, she was a great actor back in the heyday. Um, of course, though, she's not really famous for that, unfortunately. She is um, connected to Charlie Manson and, of course, the Manson Massacre that happened in 1969. So um, I think people were interested um, in seeing this movie and how Tarantino was going to really, I don't know, piece together all this material with Sharon Tate and Charlie Manson into a movie about you know a failed actor as well, too. Uh, very interesting, and I think that was a driving force for people to come to the theaters. Um, I think some of them were disappointed as well, too. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they were disappointed. Um, the Rotten Tomato score has it at 88% with the, uh, with the, I believe, the audience score has 75% as well, too. And that's changing back and forth, but eh, pretty strong reviews. But from the people that have seen this movie that I know, they're kind of on the fence. They're either really, really love it or really, really hate it. So let's kind of get down to um, how I feel about the movie. We'll talk about how I feel about the movie. We'll talk about the cameos as well, too. Um, straight up, this is a very different Tarantino movie. And at some points, a very familiar one as well, too. Um, it's a Western. This is a straight up Western. From start to finish, the theme of this movie is a Western. Um, whether it's Rick's story of being a struggling actor, um, trying to regain his fame in Hollywood, um, whether it's, you know, the mystery behind the mask with uh, Cliff Booth's character as well, too, the stuntman that has a shady past, and we really don't get to unpack it that much, so it stays even shadier. Um, whether it's um, the mystery behind um, um, Sharon Tate um, and the feeling of, of knowing what's going to happen to her driving this movie and there's hints and, and subtle jabs at, at what's going to happen and it just builds the anticipation of the eventual slaughter and damn does this movie make you wait for it it's very slow and methodical but I will say this is probably my second favorite Quentin Tarantino movie of all time. I absolutely fucking love this movie. Um, it's something that I'm very familiar with. At the same time, I just, I was mesmerized at how beautiful this film was. And the pace of this film. And the acting is just fantastic and relatable. Leo's character is so relatable to a lot of failed actors that are just trying to reclaim fame, especially at that point in time, the 60s going to the 70s of being this like 50s actor or 40s actor and now as an old man trying to relive the, those heyday days. And, you know, uh, the vibe of the 60s going into the 70s, the hippie movement, um, 
was apparent throughout this movie. The colors and the music, the music, the soundtrack. The soundtrack was amazing. Like, I would buy the soundtrack over the movie. And I love this movie, but the soundtrack was just beautiful. Um, it was scored so heavenly, and um, man, it just it, it set the tone of Hollywood in 1969. Definitely, 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 definitely. Um, why is it a second and not a first? I don't know. My taste in Quentin Tarantino is a little different. Um, some people may have ranked um, this movie lower or higher, depending on how they feel about his movies. You know, I'm a guy that thinks Death Proof is the number one movie, and of course, other movies like Unglorious Bastards um, are right at, at the top as well, too. But this is a is a really strong number two for me. It hits all the, the soft spots that I love, and it makes me cringy at some points. Um, it makes me wonder, makes me anticipate, gives me butterflies because of the whole Manson ambiance in this whole movie. It, it, it's an experience. And maybe, I don't know, I don't think a lot of my peers, when talking about this movie, they didn't have this experience. They seemed like this movie was very different, not bad, just very different for the first, what, two hours? <laughs> Uh, and then that last uh, 45 minutes really picks up. Uh, yes, this movie has a runtime of two hours and, um, and 45 minutes. Uh, with a couple of little Easter eggs that happen in the credits as well, too. So stay in tune for that if you're watching this movie. But very long movie. I got to say, though, I didn't mind it whatsoever. I love Rick's character arc. You know, someone who who is this failed actor who lives next to a, a rising star and a rising director with Roman Polanski and Sharon, and Sharon Tate next to them. Um, he sees them as not really necessarily a meal ticket, but, you know, they're next door neighbors. And he's like, man, if I could just have one meeting with them and just show them what I'm about, my career can change instantly. Um, and it, it just... It hits home from that beginning scene of seeing of him seeing them to the last scene of um, I won't spoil it right now. We'll go, go into spoilers at the end of this movie, but at the end of this podcast. But um, the theme of uh, of his journey is just fantastic. Um, even um, Cliff's journey, a little weird and muddy, but it's so intriguing. The mystery behind him. And I love his mystery because it's never fully unpacked whatsoever. You had a man who who's a stunt double and basically has a, a fantastic bromance with uh, Rick Dalton, Leo's character, um, a, a person who not necessarily has coasted with with Rick, but just has been his a his B to his A. Um, does everything for the guy, drive, drives him around, you know, make sure he's set on schedule. Basically, his manager at the same time, best friend, midwife, everything that you could imagine of, of what a person could take care of you is, he's that for Rick. Um, and really does not get the respect. There's times where he can't fi- find work whatsoever. Hell, he's even blacklisted in Hollywood for allegedly murdering his wife, which we still never get to unpack in this movie whatsoever. It's only mentioned... Uh, maybe a couple times and maybe a flashback of them on a boat but we don't know what happens all we know is that she's just bitching at him and he just looks at her in a scuba outfit and that's it so that was this intriguing this guy who's just um, ex-military at one point as well too as leo um explains at one part of the movie when he's trying to get him a gig um he's ex-military he's a great 
stuntman. He's he's someone that even goes head to head with Bruce Lee at one point. Yes, people, Bruce Lee is in this movie as well too. We'll get into the characters in a second. But yes, there's a part where he he's on the set of. Um, uh, the Green Hornet and he takes on Kato because uh, Bruce Lee is giving a speech about martial arts and self-defense and you know Brad Pitt just laughs it off and you know Cliff goes head to head with him pretty damn cool uh, I thought it was crazy I, I think um, uh, Margot Robbie plays a a very stoic version of, uh, of Sharon Tate uh, as sometimes even whimsical um, so it's hard to get a read on what kind of character she's playing, but she plays it fine. Um, she doesn't overact. She doesn't underact. It's just there. Um, I think it's more of a red herring. It's, it's something to make the audience, uh, anticipate. It gives you anxiety because she's such a likable character. You don't want anything to happen to her and you know the, what's going to eventually happen if you know about those murders. So, um, yeah, I, I can't tell you how much i love this movie i came out the theater um i came into the theater with low expectations every tarantino movie that i see i have low expectations for um maybe it's because every tarantino is kind of different but the same is of all too so i'm always surprised at his work whether it's inglorious bastards was reservoir dogs uh, pulp fiction so on and so forth they're all different but the same as well too so i came in with I, maybe that's wrong to say. Maybe low expectations is wrong to say. Maybe I just came in with no expectations. I came in expecting nothing but coming out, falling in love with film again. And that's been hard for the last couple of months. I mean, we've had some groundbreaking films and record setters, but at the same time, no movie in the past couple of months has made me fall in love with film like this movie has done. Um, yeah, so... Um, Enough for me. Let me give that rating right now. I'll give this a big top right off the bat. This is a big top all the way. I I, I couldn't recommend it enough to anyone. And not everyone's going to love this movie. But this is a movie that I will say, yes. Yes. Watch it. Watch it a couple times. Love it. Look for little hidden things. Easter eggs. Cameos. Look for everything in this movie. Because you will not be disappointed if you dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And try to find little things that make you smile about this movie, whether it's the music, whether it's the cinematography, whether it's the acting, whether it's the themes, whether it's the anxiety you get knowing that the eventual murder is going to happen. Everything really comes together in this movie. To me, at least, it does. So, of course, let's talk about these these actors that are in this movie, of course. Um, we already talked about the main people, but... Hell, uh, let's see, Margaret Qualley. I think she's best known for her role in The Leftovers, another show that I loved. Um, uh, Qualley plays Pussycat, a member of the Manson family who catches Booth's interest throughout the movie. Um, based loosely on Catherine Lutzinger, who had a nickname named Kitty, um, integral part of the Manson family. Um, so many actors in this movie. Um, Austin Butler plays Charles Tex Watson, a central member of the Manson family. Dakota Famine's in this movie. He plays Squeaky, uh, a member of the Manson family as well, too. Um, with her, she's like uh, a main character whose um, um, love interest is George Spawn on the Spawn, legendary Spawn Western Ranch. Um, uh, Bruce Dern plays George Spawn, um, an 80-year-old um, nearly blind man who rented his Los Angeles ranch out to be used as a location for westerns, now being used by the Manson family. 
Um, Burt Reynolds was supposed to actually take this role uh, before he died, unfortunately. But that would have been interesting as well, too, to see Burt Reynolds in this movie. But nonetheless, it was a very small road, but role, but it was good. It was good. Uh, Mike Mo playing Bruce Lee. Man, um, he nailed Bruce Lee. This is like the first time I've ever seen somebody nail Bruce Lee. And it made me want to fucking watch Tarantino make a Bruce Lee film. Uh, not to say that Enter the Dragon was a bad film. It was a great film, especially for its time. But man, if this dude right here can play one biopic of Bruce Lee, shit, I watched that all day. Especially if it was like a Tarantino uh, spaghetti western style. Shit, I'm all on board right there. Um, Luke Perry, this was his last credited film. Um, he was in this movie as well, too, so it's nice to see him. Al Pacino playing Marvin Schwartz. Um, he's uh, a big-time producer um, looking to cast Rick in more international movies, saying that Italy is his, is his best next bet to be a movie star. Um, uh, damn, so many people in this movie. Kurt Russell, of course, plays Randy, a stunt coordinator who also serves as the film's narrator. And it was great to see... Uh, Kurt Russell back in the stunt uniform. You know, that's nods to um, Death Proof of his character, Stuntman Mike. Uh, Zoe Bell, also part of Death Proof, uh, plays Janet, Randy's wife, also a stunt coordinator. She's a real stunt act- actor in real life as well, too. Um, uh, Lorenza Izzo, playing Francesca Capucci. 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 There we go. Capucci, an Italian film crew member and Dalton's eventual wife toward the end. She was fantastic at the end as well, too. Uh, great with comedy, great with timing. I thought she was um, adorable to watch at the end. Sexy as hell as well. Um, so many people. Uh, Rebecca Greyhart playing Booth's wife, a Billy, who we don't know how she died. But, of course, we see that Brad Pitt supposedly murdered her and is blacklisted because of her, because of the death. Um, so many people, man. Martin Crove. Cliff Collins Jr., um, um, Marco Rodriguez, uh, Samantha Robinson, um, Daniela Pick, Spencer Garrett, uh, so many people. Uh, people part of the Manson family, including Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith's daughter, who plays Froggy. Uh, so many fucking people. I, the list can go on, but there's so many great cameos in this movie that uh, it's just fantastic. Fantastic, in my opinion. Um, it just makes the movie, especially when you catch these people. Uh, Damon uh, Hurryman? Damon Hurryman. Let's check out what he's been in. Because he's the one that actually played Charlie Manson in this movie. He's an Australian actor, best known for his television work in Australia and the United States. He's perhaps best known as his portrayal as Dewey Crow in Justified. All right, fuck it. Whatever. Oh, okay. He portrays Charles Manson in both the Netflix series Mindhunter, which I have seen, what the fuck, and in Tarantino's film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, booyah! This guy is a Charles Manson, like, OG actor right here since he's played him twice. So, booyah. Um, I will say, limited role in this fucking movie. If you're expecting a Charlie Manson movie or a Manson family-esque movie, this wasn't the movie for you and let's get into uh, my thoughts on the film again because i think like i said before this was the driving force of the movie um before i even get into more of that let me just um do a quick shout out to one of my sponsors uh, of course anchor is one of my sponsors um a great 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 application and i'm gonna play the bumper right now to kind of get into that so allow me to please play you this bumper 
what's going on everybody? It's your boy Val Cisco, dropping some knowledge about Anchor. Guys, have you ever wanted to record your own podcast? Don't you want millions and millions of people to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about Zeus, whether it's about sports, whether it's about everything that's going on in the world of quarantine? Guys, what are you waiting for? Download Anchor. Anchor basically is a one-stop shop for all your podcast needs. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Number two, it's free. Guys, it's free. There's not a lot of freebies out there, so grab this. And of course, Anchor will distribute your podcast so you can be heard from different places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. You can make money off your podcast too with minimum listenership. So right there, guys, like listen, this is a no-brainer. Download Anchor. It's pretty fantastic. I love it. Hell, thank you, Anchor, for giving me the platform to speak about all the random things that I do. Uh, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, once again, download Anchor. You can download it off the Apple Play Store, the, the Google Store. I don't know if you guys have Blackberries out there still. Uh whatever is out there download it it's freaking phenomenal you guys won't regret it take care ciao all right now that we got that out the way let's continue talking about this film so like i said if you're expecting a manson-esque movie this was not the movie for you i know this was the driving force for a lot of people to go see this movie um but honestly it's a backdrop it's a subplot that is in the movie and it gives you the anxiety because when you see these characters whether it's the ranch whether it's the manson girls whether it's tex on his on his horse with the um intent to kill um whether it's toward the end where you see uh the manson three about to do some damage um uh it's not driving force in this movie where people are going to be like, oh my god, this is why I came to see this shit. No, not at all. You will be disappointed. Manson is not even in this movie for, what, less than maybe two minutes? That's about it. Um, he comes and goes, which is hilarious. Um, which I think was safe as well, too. You don't want to glorify Charles Manson um, that much. You kind of did glorify the Manson girls and the ranch, but... I guess you don't want to glorify the man that the the myth, the crazy legend that he is. Um, so, I guess that was an artistic direction for Tarantino. But um, this movie is a bromance western. Um, this movie really is about two characters. It's about Rick, and it's about um, Booth. Both of these characters really set the tone. Their stories are integrated forever from. Um, you know, Rick always needing help um, and looking for Booth's help all the time, whether it's him driving around or being his designated driver or his wingman, um, his, his Jimmy Cricket at times as well, too, his centerpiece, his muse. Like, um, you know, Rick is, uh, you know, very much a person who has it all, but is so insecure of losing it all they looks at at cliff which if you look at his living style totally different people as well too rick lives in a mansion in a way and well, not a mansion but a nice house on the hills and you know cliff lives 
in a trailer next to a drive-in theater uh, with his dog. And his dog is beautiful as well, too. Giant fucking pit bull. That was just amazing. Um, but, like, two different lives, but they're so integrated with each other. And you see the, the, the dependency that Rick has for Cliff. And Cliff just gives it to him with no kind of... Um, I guess he doesn't expect anything except unconditional respect and love for Rick, from Rick. So I, I like that dynamic right there, just bromancing all the way. Seeing Leo's performance of a struggling actor, needing to nail lines, needing to impress people, and just wanting to hear, you did a great job. I can relate with that so much. There's certain times where I just bust my ass or I do everything for a lot of people all at once. And I feel like at times it's just never ending. And maybe sometimes it's good to hear one person say, hey, you're doing okay. So I felt that. That was uh, very central to me. Even with Cliff's character, just a man that continuously tries to be positive no matter the situation they're in and always gets smacked in the face with some kind of bs but keeps on moving i felt that as well too these are the central characters of this movie and yes there's so many different plots happening whether it's the green hornet whether it's um uh, italian film industry taking over whether it's um the 1970s whether it's um, the 1960s being extinguished, the hippie era being extinguished, whether it's drugs and alcohol, whether it's the Manson family, whether it's um, Hollywood itself and and living in Beverly Hills, whether it's the music, um, Cliff and Rick's characters literally it, it, leap, leap bound, like leap, leap so high over all the other arcs that it's hard to, to, to keep your eye off these characters. You're rooting for both of these characters. You're kind of rooting for, for Margaret Robbie's performance as well as for Sharon Tate, kind of. You just don't want her to die. So let's kind of get into the ending right here of this movie. So spoiler alert for, for those who, who don't know this is a spoiler podcast, but I am going to spoil somewhat actually the ending of this movie right here. So if you haven't seen this movie, please shut this off. Go watch this movie, come back to me, and then we can talk about this, or you can hear me talk about this. Um, please leave some voice messages on here on Anchor. You can do that if you download the app as well, too. Um, comments, concerns on um, Apple Podcasts or anything, let me know. Um, but here we go. So, one of the biggest things, like I said, was the driving force of this movie was the murder of Sharon Tate. And Charlie Manson and the Manson family's involvement in this movie. Um, the ending of this movie, it kind of goes as the story is told, where you get to see the Manson three um, head up, and they're about to. Well, they're planning on murdering Sharon Tate, Sharon Tate, um, the, uh, her friends that are in the same house. You know, it's pretty much spot on at one point. Um, but as all good films are, and of course, as all good Tarantino films are, they are in a fictional universe. And while some things may ring true, it's all fiction. You know, the character of Rick Dalton is fiction. Um, Cliff is fiction, you know. There's so many fictional characters. Um, Cliff's interaction with um, the, uh, the Spawn Ranch fictional as well too his relationship um with um 
with Wispawn and very fictional as well too. So knowing that all these fictional meetings are happening and these characters that are not exactly in history are happening, something had to give at this at the end of the movie. And so when we see the Manson three pull up, at first they're getting yelled by Rick. You know, Rick's home. You know, he's making some margaritas, trying to get toasty. And um, we get to see, you know, Cliff on LSD walking his dog, which is hilarious as well, too. But he kind of chases the Manson 3 off, making them park um, down the hill. And as they make their way up, they discuss that, hey, that was Rick Dalton. You know, I used to love him so much as a child, you know. Um, I used to watch him on TV all the time. He was a hero. And, of course, these guys are hopped up on drugs. They say, you know what we learned back in the day? The TV teaches you how to kill people, and which is crazy because you can look at film today and TV today, and, and maybe it doesn't teach kids how to do these things, but it definitely accentuates the uh, violence um, that can maybe cause some kids to, you know, flip out just a tad bit. I'm not saying that film or TV is the cause of that. You know, you're a parent, regulate your kids, what they're watching, you know, be a good parent, you know. But definitely um, it does spark interest of of television and the, the themes of what's happening today in today's um, culture. But they say that, hey, you know, if they taught us how to kill people when we were kids, we should pay them back and kill them. So instead of going to Tate's residence... Or uh, basically, they go and plan to kill Rick and his wife first. So we get to see the Manson three charge up the hill and break into Cliff's house. Oh, sorry, um, Rick's house. Cliff is there trying to feed his dog, still high, trying to process everything that's going on. Uh, you see everybody cornering Cliff, and at this point, you think, man, this is how this movie's going to end. You know, this movie's going to end instead of uh, Shannon dying. You know, Cliff and and Rick are dying. And throughout this movie, you know, Cliff has said, you know, it's not my time to die yet. I've been through so many stunts and craziness that um, if if death hasn't come for me now, it's not going to come for me anytime soon. So, you know, death is very prevalent in this movie. And of course, the anxiety that you get because you know that death's going to happen somewhere or another with the Manson family. We get to see them corner Cliff and this movie turns so fucking twisted and different than you expected. We get to see Cliff uh, make his dog first attack the shit out of the Manson 3, whether it's nut shots, uh, gouging eyes and throats, whether it's Cliff fucking people up left and right, still on LSD laughing his ass off, whether it's uh, Francesca, who's Dalton's uh, um, Rick's wife, um do some brilliant comedic, comedic, comedic timing and acting in this movie of fighting the Manson 3 off and locking herself in the closet. And of course, Rick, Rick being Rick in his pool, goes overboard and sees one of the Manson 3 fall into his pool, flips out, goes into his shed, and pulls out a flamethrower and burns this bitch to a crisp. I gotta say, this is probably the most intriguing fight or death sequence in a Tarantino movie and he has a lot of them but this was just so out there and different and out of nowhere surprising but surprising in a good way because not only do you get satisfying deaths for these three individuals who you know kill Sharon Tate 
But we get to see an alternate universe now where Sharon Tate lives. So that right there was special. Like, you know, we know these people are evil, but they're going to get their comeuppance no matter what. So we saw that, and it was just brilliant to see this, this cinematic death sequence happen. And at the end of this, we see that um, the police come. You know, they take um, Cliff away. He's kind of injured, but he's going to survive. Um, you know, Rick and Cliff have a better bromance that they started with in this movie and once again it's just bromancing again just having each other's back that was a central theme and we get to see you know cliff um go out with a bang but we also see rick really live out the dream of meeting sharon tate and just sharing pleasantries with her and talking about what he did now she was a big fan of his his westerns and he she always saw him as a hero and a cowboy and look at him now he actually plays a hero in real life so um we don't really get to see what happens after this movie or after these events we don't know if if cliff gets more work because of the badassery of him going against bruce lee at one point or just fighting off the manson family we don't get to see if um if rick um has a better career because he met Sharon. Uh, we don't get to see Sharon become a movie star bigger than what she is. Um, a lot of great area was left. But a lot of hope was left as well, too. And if that's not something to be happy about, I don't know what is. This movie has a lot of gloom and it's very dry at times. But when the feelings come out and when the the happiness comes out and when when the positivity comes out you really do feel it whether when rick gets a line he remembers any and you see how brilliant of an actor he is you feel it he feels it. his emotion on his face um just comes out and you just want to feel for that character when you see that you know the all the all the breaks and the missed opportunities that cliff had um and lost you feel for this character um, you feel for Sharon Tate not being slaughtered. You know, there's so many things in this movie that you're just like, wow. And once again, a Western. A Western. A Western bromance. That's what the fuck this movie is. You know, from the beginning of Rick playing a Western character to, you know, them always being on cowboy sets and saloons to, you know, you're seeing Tex, you know, on the Manson Ranch doing tour guides for tourists um horseback riding around the hills and there's a part where you know he's charging back to the manson ranch and it's just straight out of a john wayne movie of him on the horse just charging down with the sunset uh it's, it's beautiful it's like nothing that i've ever seen before in a western in in, in a <laughs> retro modern western if you will so yes this movie is brilliant i could talk more about it the cameos the significance of the movie what could happen what couldn't have happened um the fictional alternate history that that tarantino gave us now um but i won't because i want you guys to watch it or talk about it yourselves i want to hear what you guys think about this movie because i thought this movie was brilliant it made me happy it made me love film again and uh, it's just sad to see, see Tarantino do other things like um, well, the upcoming Star Trek movie that he's going to do next. And then supposedly that's it. And he's calling it quits. Um, so it's sad because I do love Tarantino's work. 
I do admire him as a director and a writer and a producer. I think this guy is just brilliant and full of ideas and takes no shit from anybody and speaks his mind no matter what and then his feelings and his, his thoughts come out in these movies. And yes, some of them could be a little misogynistic and yes, some of them could be a little demoralizing um, to both genders. <laughs> but at the same token, they're all homages to an era of film which we don't recognize anymore. We don't recognize you know, the 1950s, 60s style filmmaking, the 70s grindhouse movies, you know, uh, the exploitation movies, you know, um, just so many of those dark classics from the 1950s and on, you know, that we just take for granted. This is part of history right here. This movie, all his movies are really part of history. So uh, I tell everybody, I challenge everybody, go out there, watch this movie, watch it once, watch it twice, and tell me what you guys think about it. Let me know. Hit me up on the Twitter at uncanny underscore V. Uh, hit me up on the Facebook at Sideshow Conversations. Um, on the Instagram at Sideshow Conversations as well, too. Let me know in the comments at Sideshow Conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Anchor as well, too. Leave a voice message. You can do this in this podcast as well, too. And uh, let me know what you guys think. Did you love it as much as I did? Did you hate it because of the slow pace and just too many storylines happening at once? Um, were you confused or did you want a little bit more? Let me know because I want to hear from you. Anyway, guys, that's really about it. That's my take on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, I will tell you guys, I was fucking up on this title for a hot minute. I was calling it Once Upon a Time in Mexico forever, forever, forever. Um, great movie, by the way, as well, too. Um, Antonio Banderas, Johnny Depp, Selma Hayek, great movie. Fucking Enrique Iglesias is in that movie as well, too. If it was a, a flamethrower-based kit, I don't know. What the fuck? Anyways, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fantastic movie guys i am out of here you guys heard the plugs please like subscribe comment curse me out let me know if i'm doing a good job if i'm doing a horrible job trying to be more consistent with these podcasts try different do different things but also stay true to who i am as well too so if you guys like it cool if you don't tough titty fuck you and um as always as always get your mind out of gutter but keep your eye on the side Also, one more thing, too. If you guys can, whenever you get a chance, support Frank Valdez Percussion on Facebook.com. Frank Valdez Percussion, great jazz, Latin, you know, mambo, cumbia. He plays it all. Fantastic musician. He's out here in Phoenix, Arizona. Also plays in New York, Oklahoma, Las Vegas, um... Los Angeles, you name it, he's going to play it. Brilliant percussionist. Look him up, Frank Valdez Percussion, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Anyway, guys, get your head out of gutter. Keep your eye on the side. So fine, she's the best girl that I ever had. Sometimes you're gonna make me feel so bad.